interact with other believers. Have you ever stopped to consider that you're dealing with royalty? Author Gary Thomas shares how he came to the startling conclusion. For me, it came out of a bad episode in my marriage. I was not being a very good husband. God was convicting me in prayer, and he applied 1 John 3, 1, which I'd always applied to myself. Behold what manner of love the Father's given us, that we should be called children of God. I claim that as a single man. I'm God's son. He loves me as a son. That's a relationship that can never break. But God was now challenging me to apply it to my wife. He said, Gary, Lisa isn't just your wife. She's my daughter, and I expect you to treat her accordingly. what, 6,000 days into this COVID thing? Okay, no, I know we're not that many, but we've probably failed a couple of times in how we treat each other, right? Well, today I'm going to help you apply some beneficial non-negotiables into your Christian life. So stay tuned to Family Life this week. Welcome to Family Life this week. I'm Michelle Hill. You know, it is the 4th of July weekend and the flags are out, people are barbecuing, picnics are happening, of course with social distancing only. We are celebrating, we are celebrating our great nation. You know, and as we look back in history, we see men and women who have done incredible things to preserve these freedoms that we enjoy today because freedom isn't free. You know, it has become a cliche, but it's true. Our Christian freedom, it's not free either. It was paid for by Christ. He died for our freedom, and he should be and is the ultimate hero, the hero who we should strive to be like, you know, walk like, talk like. And as I've thought about this, I remember sitting in a crowd a few years ago when Dennis Rainey gave a talk to some professional radio broadcasters, and most were on the edge of their seats. And he shared with us seven non-negotiables he distilled from the Bible. And today we're going to talk about those non-negotiables, but real quick, I want you to hear that list. Here's Dennis. The first one, seek God, not sin. Number two says, fear God, not men. Number three, love God, not the world. Fourth, believe God, not the deceiver. Fifth, obey God, not your appetites. Sixth, serve God, not self. Finally, number seven, worship God, not comfort. Did you catch those non-negotiables that Dennis was talking about? Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, Dennis distilled this from the Bible. And when he came up with these seven non-negotiables, he laminated a little sort of business size card and gave them to everyone here at Family Life. So if you didn't catch that list... Here it is again. Seek God, not sin. Fear God, not men. Love God, not the world. Believe God, not the deceiver. Obey God, not your appetites. Serve God, not self. Worship God, not comfort. So this list got me to thinking. You know, we've all been self-isolating for a while or quarantining or slowly getting back in society. But remember at the beginning, we were going to read our Bible more. We were going to work out more, eat with the family around the table, be more intentional about spending time with those who really matter. But is that what really happened for you? 
I gotta admit, that's not what happened for me. And I got to see that what I did didn't line up with Dennis's list of non-negotiables, like seeking God, not sin. We talked with Sam Alberry about seeking God. He's a pastor from England, writes for the Gospel Coalition, is an author and a sought-after speaker, and Sam for many years has worked with the Ravi Zacharias Ministries. Here he is talking with Dennis Rainey and Bob Lapine about seeking God, not sin. I was really intrigued by Jesus. Um, I'd grown up with a mental image of Jesus that was... He was a cross between Gandhi and one of the Bee Gees. He was this guy who said, you know, good things. And I pictured him as looking like one of the Bee Gees, long blonde hair and right. good teeth and that kind of thing. So that was sort of... But anyway, what I began to realize was that the real Jesus was far more interesting, far more frustrating, <laughs> and far more compelling than I had ever realized. His words seemed to expose me. And I began to realize I was one of the people for whom he came. And so I remember thinking in a general abstract way, this is true. But then I also remember thinking, what does that mean for me? And that was the point because I, I, there were several weeks I thought, yes, I think this is true. But then I, I began to realize that Jesus was, was calling for me to respond this is not one of those things that I can say is, is true and leave to one side. It's got to be everything if it's true or nothing. Mm. And so I remember, I remember consciously thinking, if Jesus has died for me, and I believed he had died for me, not just for sinners, but for me, I want to follow him. And I remember that, that moment sitting in my own mind thinking, I'm going to follow Jesus now. Did you know that where he would take you would conflict with the feelings that had started to emerge sexually? Not really. I, I knew that Christians believed sex was for marriage. So I figured that was probably going to be part of the deal. But I kind of figured, oh, in that case, my feelings will change. Mm. So I didn't anticipate this being a long-term situation that I would be in. But at the time... All I knew was I do trust Jesus. So whatever he ends up saying in any area of life will be good for me. I have to wonder if some of the folks listening to us today have always thought Christianity was about God does nice things for good people rather than understanding that it's God forgiving all of us who need forgiveness. Yeah, and I'm just wondering right now if there's a listener sitting there going, yeah, I'm familiar with his claims. I've been thinking about it a little bit, maybe thinking about it more now as a result of hearing your words. What would you say to that man, that woman, who's maybe at the same fork in the road you were? I would say a couple of things. I would say I, we're not Christians because we think we're good. We're Christians because we know we're not. When we know our own hearts, we need a savior. We don't need a, a performance coach. We need, we need a rescuer. And the second thing I, I would say is, is what we're told in the Scriptures, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so if you, if you are someone who's beginning to think, I'm feeling drawn to Jesus, 
this this is a man who is unfathomably good and his ways are good and right and it's as we start to follow him we we can taste that it's not always easy sometimes it's very very hard but we can taste the goodness of what he says as we follow him the goodness of him when we follow Christ. That's Sam Alberry showing us how to seek God, not sin. And did you catch what he had to say about his same-sex attraction? He thought God would change it, but he didn't. And Sam is still same-sex attracted, but he hasn't acted on his feelings. He's choosing to seek God and not sin. And the benefits of tasting the goodness of God? Well, Sam is finding out that they far outweigh our own wants and desires. Sam has a very powerful story. It's a story of a man who chose to find his identity in Christ. And we have that story on our website. Go to familylifethisweek.com. That's familylifethisweek.com. You know, one thing that happens when we seek God is that we come to fear Him. And that is when you become so preoccupied with walking in His presence that what others think of you just doesn't seem to matter anymore. And that's not only fearing God, but being kingdom-minded. And here's well-known pastor, author, and radio host, Tony Evans, talking about fearing God, not men. And through my research and study, I discovered that God has broken down his kingdom into four categories. And in fact, only four. Your personal life, your family life, your church life, and your societal, governmental, or community life. And the kingdom is simply your ability to relate those four areas to one another and all four to God that makes you a kingdom person. Now, this is a study that could take hours upon end, I would simply like to reduce it to Psalm 128. He says, how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will go well with you. He starts off by addressing your personal life. He says that if you're going to be a kingdom person, it always begins with the kingdom within. He, he calls it the fear of God. That's an interesting Old Testament word. It, it really combines two concepts. On one side, to fear God meant to dread him. For well, he was so high and holy and just. But then on the flip side of that coin, it was to awe him or hold him in high reverence. When you mix together the dread of God with the awe of God, it simply comes out to mean, blessed is he who takes God seriously. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. I would assume in Anaheim, there is some sort of loop that surrounds this community. Most major cities have a loop. They are close enough to give you access to the city, but far enough so that you don't have to get bogged down with traffic going downtown. They are, they are loops that circle the city. You and I today live in a world with God on the loop. Close enough to look respectable, far enough not to be bothered with. Uh, God is not interested in being on the loop of your life. 
He is not interested in the marginalization of his existence on your life or in your ministry. In fact, he's interested in exiting the loop and going downtown where the legislation is made. To fear God is to let him run the city hall of your life. To fear God is to take him so seriously that he sets the legislation for every aspect of your existence and mine. And if there's any adjusting of the rulees to the ruler, it is the adjustment of finding out what the prescriptions of the king is so I can adjust everything in my world to who he is. Oh, and there is always one test as to whether you fear God. It says you walk in his ways. The fear of God is not ultimately measured in the feelings, it's always measured in the feet. If there is no adjustment in the feet, there is no fear in the heart, regardless of how inspired you may feel at any given moment. Uh, blessed is everyone who fears God because you always see them shifting the way they walk. What he is simply saying is, if you are serious about this kingdom, then God must be the son of your life solar system where the planets of your activity revolves around him and you do not request that he revolves around you. Did you catch that from Tony Evans? Those words? You revolve around God. He doesn't revolve around you. Timeless words to live by. So, you remember we first started off with seeking God, not sin. We moved on to fear God, not man. So we're going to continue to work through two more of the seven non-negotiables when we come back with more non-negotiables. Stay tuned. What? You mean start one ourselves? Can we do that? For Family Life Blended, here's Ron Deal. Well, yeah, as a matter of fact, you can. All over the world, couples are starting marriage education groups and churches are hosting events to help marriages. I talked with Roger. He said, you know, my wife and I started a small group for stepfamily couples in our home, and it's working. Everybody loves the fellowship and lives are being changed. I'm telling you, one ordinary couple plus a practical resource can equal change lives for the glory of God. You know, if you've ever benefited from somebody coming alongside you and sharing an encouraging word, maybe it's time you encourage somebody else. You can do this. We'd like to help. For Family Life Blended, I'm Ron Deal. To find out more, visit familylifeblended.com. This is what's known as a shepherd tone. As long as you listen, it will sound like the tone gets lower and lower forever and ever and ever. For some, that's how marriage feels. It's just getting worse and worse forever and ever and ever. The tone can also be reversed and sound like it gets higher and higher. And for others, that's how marriage feels, as if it will only get blissfully better and better automatically forever and ever. But in both cases, the tone is an illusion. Whether you feel hopelessly in love or just plain hopeless, Family Life's Weekend to Remember is a chance for you and your spouse to get away and hear the truth about God's design for your marriage. No illusions. Family Life's Weekend to Remember. 
To find out more about a getaway near you, visit WeekendToRemember.com. Welcome back to Family Life This Week. I'm Michelle Hill. So as we mentioned a little bit earlier, Dennis Rainey came up with a list of seven non-negotiables, things that should be true of you and me if we claim to be children of God. Once again, let's just recap that list. Let's hear from Dennis. The first one, seek God, not sin. Number two says, fear God, not men. Number three, love God, not the world. Fourth, believe God, not the deceiver. Fifth, obey God, not your appetites. Sixth, serve God, not self. Finally, number seven, worship God, not comfort. I love about this list, these non-negotiables, is it's timeless. These non-negotiables aren't something that Dennis just pulled out of thin air and said, we must live by these rules. He pulled these right out of the Bible. And for eons, other people have also been latching onto these principles too. Okay, so, so far, we've talked about seeking God, not sin, fearing God, not man. For the sake of time, we have to skip over a few of those non-negotiables, but you can find the entire list on our website, familylifethisweek.com. That's familylifethisweek.com. The next one we're going to talk about is believing God and not the deceiver. And part of the believing God comes from knowing the Bible, knowing what is true of Him, basically knowing God better than you know your spouse or your best friend. Here's Bible teacher and author, Jen Wilkin. I thought about the first command so much as I was writing this book because I'm writing about all these things that are only true about God, His infinitude, and just how He is immeasurable and unquantifiable and so much bigger than anything we ever would have come up on our own. And when you learn about who God is described to be in Scripture, it becomes readily apparent that there cannot possibly be any other gods. And that's essentially what the first command is telling us. When it says you shall have no other gods before me, it's saying it because there are no other gods. So when we focus our attention on who the Bible proclaims God to be, it helps us obey the first command because we realize the insanity of thinking there could be any rivals. Talk about the self-sufficiency of God. He doesn't need us for anything, does he? Right. And that, that's a little bit disappointing to some of us. I think that some of us grew up with a narrative that God created us to fill a little human-shaped hole in his heart. And yet God has always had complete sufficiency. He you know, he didn't need our, our love. He had that within the Trinity. The triune God has always had love and fellowship. He wasn't lonely. And we don't supply him with anything, which is it's intuitively makes sense once we've acknowledged that he's the origin of all things. He can't possibly have been dependent on any of the created things. Sometimes the greater obstacle to the gospel is not, I'm such a wretched sinner. It's, I'm pretty awesome and I'm doing okay on my own. But then I think the other issue we run into is thinking that to be needy is somehow to be flawed. 
But we were need we had needs before that whole issue with the serpent and the lies and everything that came after. Why? Because we were created to acknowledge that we had need of our creator. To be human is to need, and we're created not just to need God, but also to need one another, to live in community with one another. That's Adam and Eve, created for one another and created to rule and subdue uh, the earth together. Uh, We need restoration. We need our sins removed by the atoning work of Christ. Jen Wilkin, with some very true, true words, the atoning work of Christ. You know, there are many times in my life where I'm tempted to believe something that isn't true of God, because I look around the world and I see pain and I see suffering and people hurting other people. And I'm tempted to think, God just doesn't care, does he? I have to stop and I have to go back to what I know to be true of God. What have I learned of him when I'm reading the Bible? I am in a Bible study at church, and we are studying some of Jen's material. And Jen has a way of teaching God's Word and equipping women to dig deeper into His Word and to grasp what God is saying to us. And it's amazing to look around and see the number of women who are growing and their belief in Him. So thanks, Jen. I really appreciate you and all your hard work. Okay, so we've learned seek God, not sin. We've talked through fear God, not men, and we talked through believe God and not the deceiver. Now we're going to turn a corner a little bit here. Have you ever thought about your marriage, how it could be a form of worship to the one true God? Really? I know what you're thinking. Okay, so I've heard that marriage is a picture of Christ and the church, and I'm sure you've heard that also, right? It's found in Ephesians. But worship of God in marriage? Yep. And I didn't come up with this. He's a pretty smart guy, Gary Thomas. He's a faculty member at Western Seminary in Portland. He's a teaching pastor and writer in residence at Second Baptist Church in Houston. And he's a well-known author. But most importantly, he lives out what he's saying. Here's Gary Thomas talking about another non-negotiable, worshiping God, not comfort. I'm a huge fan of marriage, but God didn't create any of us to be satisfied in our marriage. He created us so that we find our greatest meaning and purpose in a life of worship and service and sharing fellowship or or what we would call love. Here's the reality. The human condition is such that none of us are so incredible that we could keep somebody fascinated for five or six decades. But when we connect our marriage to things that grow, like worship, for me, one of the most transforming aspects of marriage is when I really began to connect my marriage with my life of worship. And the brilliant thing about worship, it's not just a religious concept. The more you worship God, the more you want to worship God, because that's what God created you to do. The more you get to see how beautiful he is, the more you want to spend time in his presence. And so when my marriage is based on worship and worship is something that grows, then everything else that the world tends to base marriage on, personal appearance, Uh present level of, of happiness and satisfaction, comfort, 
not taking into account the fact that we get sick or that we can get disappointed or poor or have disappointments. All of those things tear marriage down. But when marriage is based on worship and relating to God and an eternal perspective, those things become more important as you age, not less. Okay, you're going to have to help me out here, though, because I was following marriage should have an eternal purpose and should be we should see it in light of eternity. And then you talk about marriage being connected to worship. What does that look like for marriage to be connected to worship? I mean, how, how does that happen on a daily basis in my home? Yeah, give us a working definition of worship because I think that's where a lot of folks miss it, Gary. They don't, uh, they don't really understand what it is. For me, it came out of a bad episode in my marriage. I was not being a very good husband. God was convicting me in prayer, and he applied 1 John 3, 1, which I'd always applied to myself. Behold, what manner of love the Father's given us that we should be called children of God. I claim that as a single man. I'm God's son. He loves me as a son. That's a relationship that can never break. But God was now challenging me to apply it to my wife. He said, Gary, Lisa isn't just your wife. She's my daughter. And I expect you to treat her accordingly. It's scary to me at this stage in my life with two daughters of marriageable age, how desperately I want them to be loved. Right, And there are two men that can make me among the happiest men on earth, not by ever doing anything for me, not by complimenting me, not by giving me anything. If I watch them love my daughters well, Mm -hmm. they will be two of my favorite people on this planet. And so I began looking at God, not just as my heavenly father, but my heavenly father-in-law. That that our marriages are about far more than our own happiness. Our marriages are about God's happiness. And I want to bring great joy to to heaven. That's what could be so overwhelming to listeners. We feel so insignificant in this world. And yet each person listening to us can bring great joy to our heavenly father by loving one of his sons or daughters supremely well today. Wrapping up those non-negotiables with worship God, not comfort. And what Gary's saying is that one of the best ways that we can worship God is by treating others well. Whether it's in your marriage or the clerk at Walmart or your coworker who is chomping on their ice. How are you treating others? So I don't know if you're running a list on these non-negotiables, but here they are. Seek God, not sin. Fear God, not men. Believe God, not the deceiver. And worship God, not comfort. There's three of them that we didn't talk about today. They are love God, not the world. Obey God, not your appetites serve God, not self. Of course, we have that entire list of all the seven non-negotiables on our website, familylifethisweek.com. That's familylifethisweek.com. Hey, next week, I am going to have a chat with Bob Lapine. I am so excited. He just wrote a new book about love and how to love each other. And we're going to talk about loving like you mean it. So I hope you can join us for that. 
Hey, thanks for listening. I want to thank the president of Family Life, David Robbins, along with our station partners around the country. And a big thank you to our engineer today, Keith Lynch. Thanks to our producer, Marcus Holt. Justin Adams is our mastering engineer. And Megan Martin is our production coordinator. Our program is a production of Family Life today. And our mission is to effectively develop godly families who change the world one home at a time. I'm Michelle Hill, inviting you to join us again next time for another edition of Family Life This Week.